You're listening to the New Life Church Podcast, where we are passionate about helping you connect to your God-given purpose. To learn more about New Life Church, including our service times in Canton, Georgia, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. Well, we're in part two of our series, Prophets and Didn't. Pastor JB do a fantastic job with Jeremiah last week. Amen. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because of all he went through. And Pastor JB's message was a great reminder of God's faithfulness and goodness and his ability to help us through discouragement. And today I'm going to be really following in the same vein with a different prophet because I don't think we can have too many messages uh, that remind us how God can help us. Come on, at our lowest points and, and through these moments. Can I get an amen from that? Uh, our character today is widely considered to be the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. He doesn't have a book titled by his name, but God used him to perform miraculous things, incredible supernatural occurrences would just follow this guy around. Uh, he was a powerful man of God who had great faith, great determination. He was one of only two men in the Bible who got raptured. I mean, just gone. And wouldn't that be great, right? Just no death, just, just taken up. Enoch was the first. So who was the second? Elijah. Elijah that's right. So today we're going to talk about Elijah. But our text isn't going to be one of those epic miracles. It's not going to be one of the supernatural high points of his life. Um, it's actually a text that, that takes place at his lowest point. Elijah was well beyond discouragement in this season. He had gone into full-blown depression to the point that he wanted his life to end. And I believe how he got out of that season can help us as well. Because we all face those times. We all face those seasons of confusion, doubt, where faith is low, and even, and even depression. And the enemy wants nothing more to, but to come in during those times and to take us out. If he can't have our soul, he wants our testimony. The subtitle today is a question that God asks in our text of Elijah. And I'm asking us today, the, the title is, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Let's pray. Lord, I feel your presence today and I'm so thankful for it. God, we don't take your presence for granted. Your manifest presence is here. We can feel it. We know it. We sense it. And we're so thankful for it. So right now, Holy Spirit, would you just come in and cause your word to be rhema, to come alive, to be active, to be prophetic. And I'm really praying that lives are changed this morning because of your word. And we thank you for that ahead of time. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. So I usually start, you know, with a story and a joke or something. You know, that's what they teach us in college to do, you know, to get everybody in. And I like that. There's nothing wrong with that, laughing and all that. But we have, this is, this is a robust sermon. It, we're, I almost did it in two weeks, but I thought, no, this thing flows together. It needs to be done at the same time. But we need to jump right into the word. It's going to be kind of like drinking out of, a, out of a fire hose today, a little bit. All right? So if you love to take notes, it's a great day to do that. This is actually a sermon that I'm hoping you'll go back and watch again. 
And then if you know anybody who's struggling in this area that you will recommend it to them to watch two or three times because it is that kind of message. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, it's going to be on the screen today in the New Living Translation. Beginning with verse 1, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Ahab was the king of Israel, and he was one bad dude. He was one of the most wicked kings in Israel's history. He led the entire nation into idolatry, worshiping a false god named Baal. It's just a statue, a pagan god. He had forsaken God. He had forsaken his covenant. He had forsaken his role as a leader in leading God's people. Now, Jezebel was his wife. She was the queen. And as bad as Ahab was, Jezebel was, that's right, <laughs> some of you know. So Ahab tells her when he gets home with his lip out, how Eli, I'm just imagining that, how Elijah had defeated 450 prophets of Baal. In a truly epic showdown, the likes which Hollywood could never recreate. <laughs> he had challenged these, these, these false prophets of Baal and said, let the real God, the true God, answer by fire. They were on Mount Carmel. It was a whole day's experience, and the, the prophets of Baal went first, and, and they, they, they put an altar out there, and nothing happened. They prayed, nothing happened. They prayed again, nothing happened. They, just, they, 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 they were down on there. They were weeping. They were crying. They were cutting themselves. They were doing everything they could, and of course, nothing happened because Baal isn't real. And then Elijah started prodding them and making fun of them. He's like, maybe he's in the bathroom. Just wait. He'll be done in a minute. Just wait. You know, maybe he's asleep and he just made fun of them. And then it came his turn. It's all on the line. My Lord, what faith. It's all on the line. He said, no, dig a ditch around the, the sacrifice and pour it full of water. <laughs> and then he just prayed a simple prayer. God, if you don't do this... <laughs> I'm dead, but your name also is going to be tarnished. And you know, most of you know the story. Fire came and consumed everything. So Ahab comes back. Oh, then he kills all the prophets. He has them killed. So then Ahab comes down, he back and he tells Jezebel what happens. And this is her response in verse 2. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So when it came down to it, guess who wore the pants in this family? Jezebel was pulling the strings. She was the one in charge. She was really the one that was in charge of these prophets. They were her prophets. Baal was her God. She spent money, time, resources into this whole thing. So she took this very personally, and she got very upset. Let's find out what Elijah does with this threat on his life. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. 
Okay, this took place up in Mount in Carmel, which is up in the northern part of Israel. Folks, he didn't just go to the town next door. He didn't just go to a different region. He left the country. The, the, the country was divided. The northern part, ten tribes, was Israel. The southern two tribes of Judah. He went as far south in Judah as he could. It was a big deal. This guy, though, had just, Elijah, had just miraculously supernaturally defeated 450 men and stood in the face of Ahab the king. At any point, he could have been killed, he could have been tortured, he could have been in prison, but he stood and spoke for God until a scorned woman got involved. Happy Valentine's Day. Most preachers today are preaching about relationships and your pastor's preaching about Jezebel. I don't know what that means for you. Thank you. I have no idea. Verse 3, let's continue. Elijah was afraid, fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Now, I highlighted that because it's important. We'll find out for... Why in just a minute? Verse four, then he went on alone, say alone, into the wilderness, traveling all day. So he goes even farther. He's over a hundred miles from his victory. He goes even farther by himself. He's not only running from Jezebel, you understand, he's running from his anointing. He's running from his victory. He's running from his calling. He's running from his purpose. Here's the point I want us to remember. Discouragement and depression often set in after a great spiritual victory. Do you know that more pastors quit on Monday? It's proven (laughs) than any other day. It's true. It's true. You have this, this, this big day and then you go into Monday morning. And I can tell you my own life. I'm in a great place. I, I mean, I'm in, a, I'm in the best church in, in the world right here. I mean, I'm in a great situation. But on Mondays, I rehash everything. God gives me some kind of a reprieve on Sunday afternoon. It's a blessed thing. I just sleep. <laughs> Watch football, whatever. But then Monday morning, I rehash everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It all goes through my head. And, and you can get down, you can, even after a great thing. How many uh, are, are watching the Olympics right now? Anybody watching? They're on right now. I'm not really either. I've been too busy. But have you ever heard of post-Olympic syndrome? Anybody ever heard of that? It's a psych, it's a real, you can Google it. It's, it's a psychological letdown. So these athletes, some of you are athletes, some of you train and, and, and do all this stuff. These athletes train for years. From the time they're little, getting up at four in the morning, they train for years, some of them for just a few minutes of competition, and then it's over, and most of them never win gold. But here's the amazing statistic about post-Olympic syndrome. Even the ones who do win still go through this huge letdown that often leads into a season of depression. And the enemy of your soul knows exactly how to exploit that in your life. 
I want to say this, especially to those who are young in the Lord. You've just maybe recently given your life to Jesus. Maybe you have a, you've had an awesome spiritual experience, an encounter with Jesus recently. Maybe it was baptism. Maybe it was in an altar or in a room or a, in the service, in the worship, whatever it is. And then it seems like the very next day, all hell breaks loose. That's not on accident. That's not a coincidence. Satan is being intentional. Just like Jezebel with Elijah, she didn't want to give him any momentum in that victory. And the devil doesn't want to give you one second of peace to gain any momentum in your new journey of faith. But I want you to listen to me, child of God. Are you hearing me? I'm here to tell you this morning that Satan has already been defeated. According to Colossians 2.15, listen, he was disarmed. He was disarmed. That's what Paul says. He was disarmed at the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus this morning, if he resides in your heart, the devil has zero authority in your life. The only authority he has is what you give him. Jesus pulled every tooth in his head. He's all bark. He's no bite because of Jesus. So don't allow him to take your joy and to steal your victory. Now, that was the Pentecostal side. But let me just say, your, what you're going through is real. I'm not trying to downplay that. But so is the power of God. And greater is he that is in you than he that is coming against you. Elijah ran away from his victory. He ran away from his purpose, his anointing. But he, I think, made an even bigger mistake. I think he compounded the mistake by going away alone. Going away alone. It says he left his servant this guy, this trusted person that he traveled with in Beersheba, and he went on alone into the wilderness. Now, we all, again, we all experience these, these, these tough times, these disappointments, defeats, fear, anxiety, but I can't overstate this enough. We should never try to face difficult seasons alone. I thought I might get a little more. I hear you. I hear you. If that's you today, if you're going through that hell on earth today for whatever reason, don't run away from God. Run to God. Don't, don't run away from the people of God. Run to them. This is the beauty of Christianity. We're a family. We are the people of God. We are the family of God. We never have to go through our hardest moments alone. Now, this part of the sermon hits your pastor right here. This is what I struggle with, if I had to say, the most. Because the way I'm wired, my knee-jerk reaction is to isolate. I'm an introvert. If I'm going through something, leave me alone. That's how I feel. That's, that's what I feel. That's my flesh. Leave me alone. I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. Just let me work through it. 
Well, some things you can't work through. Some things will take you captive and and hold you there. Bars will come up in your life. Chains will come up on you. And so I have to really work. This is an area that I'm working on. Matter of fact, last week I had my first call with a man. had to be Zoom because he's in a different state. But with a man, actually, he's, he's the one responsible. His name's Ed Fernderberg. He's the one responsible for me being here. He's the one who connected me to new life. He was a consultant, and now he works with pastors to make sure they stay where they need to be, to ask the hard questions, to go deep. And I had my first call with him last week, and it wasn't all pleasant. But come on, folks, we've got to have these conversations. We've got to have people in our life we can tell the truth, and that will pray with us. Let's see what happens next. Elijah sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough. Anybody? Anybody know what that? I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Can I say that depression is real? And it's no respecter of persons. Male, female, young, old, rich, poor, successful, unsuccessful, Christian, non-Christian, depression can come on us all. And I believe God preserved this story in the Bible so that we could see one of the greatest men of God, the heroes of our faith in the Bible, was not immune. And I want to be upfront and say this message isn't supposed to replace your doctor's visit. I'm not going to preach that. It's not supposed to replace counseling or replace uh, even a medication that maybe your doctors put you on, or whatever that is. There are physical, we're we're in a world of sin. There are physical ailments. There are physical imbalances, chemical imbalances that that can lead to these these things into into depression. This isn't an anti-science or medication sermon, but what I am saying is that sometimes depression and these things go beyond the physical into the spiritual And what happens in this story, I believe, can help us. Are we on the same page? Verse 5. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up. Man, sometimes you got to get up. you got to keep moving. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread uh, baked on hot stones, a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. He was burnt out. Now, I'm not going to camp out here, but I want to make this point. Look at the screen. To live in fear is exhausting. It's exhausting. Living under the weight of fear will sap the joy and the strength right out of your life. But let me remind you what Paul, the Apostle Paul, told his son in the Lord, his protege, Timothy, You know, Timothy was a young pastor who must have been struggling with fear because Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given you a spirit of fear. That's not from God, Timothy. He's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In other words, if you're living today in constant state of fear, if you're carrying that, you don't have to pray about it. It's not from God. And I'll tell you one more. It's not the will of God that you stay there. That's all right. The opposite of fear is not courage, it's faith. And faith, listen, 
is trusting God with every part of your life. Trusting God with your children. Trusting God with your relationships. Trusting God with your career. Trusting God with your finances. Trusting God with your health and safety. It's even trusting God, listen, that he won't, that he won't allow you to be taken out of this world until he ordains it. That's freedom. That's freedom. But to live under the weight of fear all the time is absolutely exhausting. And if it's left unchecked, that's going to eventually lead you to a very dark place. But I'm telling you today, the Holy Spirit is here to turn the light on. Somebody praise him in advance. Come on right now. Verse seven, then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him again. How many are thankful that God doesn't give up? He touches us again. Get up and eat some more. For the journey ahead will be too much for you. There's so much I could unpack right here. We could talk about the importance of rest and Sabbath, and I've preached on that before. Not getting burned out, not staying down, always getting back up. Even the importance of of what you eat and health and exercise. It's important. But I want to focus on one thing. The angel was a messenger from God who came and took care of Elijah in his worst moment when he needed it the most. And I think the, the, the point is clear. God desires to help you, yes. even at your lowest point. Don't ever think he's like, I am so over this. I'm done with her. I'm done with him. This is one too many times. God desires to help you. Even if you roll over and go back to sleep. Come on. Is that what he did? Come on. Even if you relax. Even if you slip back for a minute into the darkness, God is patient. God is faithful. And God has not given up on you. He loves you. He is faithful. He is good. He is merciful. And he will continue to send messengers. Because he loves you. Mm, I feel this. Verse 8, so he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And now the next verse, we get our subtitle for today. Verse nine, then he came to a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah had gone into a cave. A cave is a dark place. A cave is a lonely place. It's it's like he was drawn to the very thing that represented his life. It's like he couldn't stop himself from going there. Even after the food, even after the touch from God, even after the rest, he was still struggling. He was still struggling. Can anybody relate to this at all? Just me? Okay. Depression is a dark place. And sometimes it seems impossible to escape, but I'm telling you, even in that dark place, God sees you. God loves you. Somebody needs to hear me today. He hasn't given up on you. 
but, but he loves you too much to leave you there. Now, you may say you want to be left alone. You may say you want, you can get through this. Just leave me alone. Just give me a minute. But deep down, you know you need help. And it's the spirit of God that will challenge that thinking and your perspective. Maybe it's through a scripture that you read. Maybe it's through a friend that confronts you. Maybe it's through this very message today. But the challenge begins with this same question. What are you doing here? What are you doing in this cave? (laughs) What are you doing, sir, in this dark place? What are you doing, ma'am, in this place? Let's see how he responds. Verse 10, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and they killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. When we're in a place of darkness, a place of discouragement, a place of depression, our perspective, you can mark it down, is usually going to be off. We're not seeing things clearly. And it's in those seasons, listen, it's in those vulnerable seasons where the enemy will come in and pounce and take advantage and exploit our wounded emotions and our tired bodies. Satan will try to convince us that our work is in vain, that our Christianity is in vain, that nothing is being accomplished, that my blood, sweat, and tears mean nothing. They've been wasted. And the biggest lie, you want to know the biggest lie? The devil wants us to believe that we're all alone in the suffering and the pain. Elijah said, I'm the only one left. But if you just read a little further, you'll find out there were 7,000 others. There's a remnant. Folks, there is always a remnant. I don't care what happens in this country, the circumstances. I don't care how many freedoms get taken away. I don't care what our government allows to happen. I'm telling you, no matter how dark it gets, God will always have a church. He will always have a remnant. And he is faithful. He is faithful to take care of us and to love us and to show us the way if we'll let him. It's a lie from the devil. My friends, you are not alone in your suffering. You are not alone in your pain. You're not the only one. You're not the only one who is serving God, but your world is crumbling. I know that argument. I know how that goes. God, I'm paying my tithes. God, I'm serving you. I have given my life to you. What is going on? I see this person and this person, and that guy doesn't even love you. And he's doing great. Do you see that lady on Facebook? She at the bar last night and having a big time. And I'm in church. She has a hangover. She's not in church. Come on. I know how that argument goes. I've had that argument. 
But here's the truth. Here's the truth. We live in perilous times. We live every day of our lives behind enemy lines. We live every day of our lives on Satan's turf. He was cast down to earth with his demons. You can look around and you can see the effect. I don't have to prove that. We live in a dangerous place. And it never says in the word that we will have it easy. Matter of fact, it tells us, Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to have trouble. But let me tell you what the word of God also says. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. You are never alone, no matter what you are going through. Give him praise. Come on. Verse 11, God says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. He had just had a miracle where he called down fire from heaven. But the Lord was not in the fire this time. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. You see, Elijah's ministry to that point had been defined by epic miracles. Big, huge acts of God. One after the other, the latest, of course, being the fire called down from heaven that consumed the sacrifice. So no doubt, that's what Elijah was expecting to get him out of this. He was looking for the big miracle. He was looking for the huge act of God. But God was reminding him that God moves in different ways. And all of them are powerful. All of them are necessary and needed, even when it's not big and flashy. And it's a lesson we need to learn. God wants to move among us, but we must be willing to submit to his way and not ours. Some more truth is coming. This is especially difficult for those of us who grew up in church. And I'll even go a step further. Those of us who grew up in Pentecostal church. We're always trying to recreate, reproduce a move of God that happened years ago. But when we do that, church, we put God in a box. We think that that since God moved powerfully when we sang those songs and preached in that way, that if we'll just do that again, that he'll move in that same way again. But God is not a God of an algorithm. My God is original. He's, He's fresh. He's creative. He will not be put in a box. He will not be relegated to tradition or form or denomination. My God will do it any way he pleases. And it's my job to simply be sensitive to his voice and to try to be obedient to what he's saying. Not to try to manufacture something. That will preach 
and I hope you're hearing it. It might be a whirlwind service with manifestation gifts and, and people laid out on the floor. I, 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 that's my world. I love that, right? That's where I grew up in. But it also might be a still, quiet voice that pierces into the heart of a man and causes him to repent. And how dare I say which one is more important? We trip over our own false preconceptions when we relegate God. It has to be our way. God wants to move, but he... We've got to be obedient. We've got to be sensitive to his way. Yeah. We're getting close. The landing gear is coming out. Verse 13. When Elijah heard it, what did he hear? That still whisper. He wrapped his face in his cloak yeah. and went out and stood. Wait a minute. Went out, didn't he already? He must have still been in the dang cave. Yeah. <laughs> Remember God said, come out. He, Elijah must have been like peeking. He wasn't even out of the cave yet. But when he heard the voice of God, he came out, stood at the entrance of the cave, and a voice said, what are you doing here? There it is again. Same question, and then verse 14, he replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have in their covenant with you, torn down the altars, killed every prophet. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. It's the same exact stubborn answer. Elijah was stuck. Everybody say stuck. Everybody, he was stuck in his frustration. He was stuck in his fear. He was stuck in his discouragement. Now, I know none of us here have ever been stubborn with the Lord, so I'm just going to move on. Verse 15, <laughs> then the Lord told him, go back. Say, go back. Go back, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. That's a long way from where he was. Now, you don't understand, God uses wilderness experiences. He's used them with his people since the beginning. Noah, Abraham, Moses, the people of Israel, most of all the prophets, including Jesus. Look at the screen. But for God to use wilderness experiences to grow our faith, it must be his wilderness experience and not ours. It must be a place and a, and a time and, a, and a, a thing, a season that's ordained by him. Not that we manufacture. I've never seen this before. I've read this story a hundred times. I've preached it a hundred times. Tim, I've never seen this before. God kept asking, what are you doing here? What are you doing on Mount Sinai? What are you doing in this cave? And then I saw it. Listen, folks, you got to get this. Elijah was in the wrong wilderness. <laughs> he was in a wilderness of his own making. He had fled to Mount Sinai in hopes to manufacture something that had happened with Moses hundreds of years before. Elijah fled to something familiar, something comfortable. Instead, 
of seeking God for where he should go. And God said, go back. Go back. I shared this, I think it was in last week's, uh, during the baptism in the second service, I shared that Kathy sent me to Pebble Beach and my, my uh, Christmas present was to go watch the, the Pebble Beach golf tournament and, and to see Monterey Bay. It was a, a bucket list for me. Incredible. So I flew out there, had a perfect day last Friday. Gorgeous weather, 60 degrees. Then the next day it was time to come back so I could get ready to baptize. Well, all the ice storms in the Midwest, I got to Phoenix from Monterey and my plane got canceled because the crew couldn't get there. So I had gone up to the, before that, before I knew it was canceled, I had gone up and paid the money to sit in the Admiral's Club because the seats are nice and it's quiet and I just don't like to be around people that much. So it's worth the money. So I went up there and I had just gotten sat down. I was going to do some work and they called me, Mr. Malloy. Will you come to the bed? I went up there and he went, your flight's been canceled to Atlanta. I'm like, what? So I looked down into the concourse and there was a line a mile long customer service. People had gone through the same thing, trying to get a, a new flight. And this young man worked for 30 minutes on just me. He had me going all over the place, all over the United States to get home on time. I ended up having to fly backwards. I had to go backwards to LA and then take the red eye to Atlanta. I got here. I pulled into the church parking lot at 745, got a shower and I got to baptize. But the point is I had to go backwards I had, matter of fact, I had to sit in an uncomfortable seat that I did not purchase. I had to sit next to a lady, no lie, only lady on the plane in that red eye who decided she wanted to use her reading light the entire trip. But I got home. The point is this, sometimes you must go backwards so that you can move forward. Pastor, wait a minute. I think I get it, but I think you're, in, you're talking in riddles. What do you, if you're feeling stuck in discouragement, stuck in anxiety, stuck in depression, stuck in fear, it could mean, it could mean that God wants you to go back and take care of some things before he can promote you and move you forward. Now, going back, that may look very different. Maybe for you, it's an apology. Maybe it's apologizing to someone, to a, even a boss or a coworker or a son or a daughter or a parent, maybe an ex. Just, just I'll get, yeah, oh, so, yeah. Yeah, I'll move on. Happy Valentine's Day. Maybe. Maybe it's an apology. Maybe it's a confession of sin that you've just kind of glossed over. Maybe it's getting inner healing for something that happened to you, an abuse, a trauma in your life, seeking counseling, seeking prayer for, for that. Maybe that's what going back is. Maybe going back is doing your first works over, rededicating your life to the Lord, getting baptized again. Maybe, this is a biggie, going back means dealing with unforgiveness in your heart. 
If we flee into our own wilderness, listen, if we force our way, we try to manufacture something, it can kill us emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. God will only use the wilderness experiences that he ordains and directs. But can I say that his grace is still on display even here? Elijah had run away from his purpose. He had had succumbed to the fear in his life. He found himself in a wilderness of his own making. But even there, the grace of God found him. The grace of God moved in his life. The grace of God revealed the direction that he should go. My God will never give up on you. Let's finish. God said, when you arrive there in the correct wilderness, anoint Hazael to be king. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nishi, to be king of Israel. And then anoint Elisha. Anybody know him? Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel, Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. So Elijah heard the voice of God and he had a place to go. He had something to do. He was obedient and he went back. He went back to where God was directing him to go. Now, he was no doubt still struggling. He was no doubt still dealing with the fear and the anxiety. But his faith began to rise again. His faith and his trust in God was renewed. And did you notice how God got him back on track? Purpose. 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 God told him to go anoint three people. He told him to go and do what prophets do. And it wasn't a hard one. Come on, it wasn't a hard assignment. He didn't go say kill another 450 prophets of Baal. He didn't say call fire down from heaven. He said go and anoint these three men. It's like the NFL. It's like the, or any football team. If you have a quarterback who throws a bunch of interceptions, what's going to happen? Their confidence is going to go down. A good offensive coach will do what? He'll call a play where he makes an easy pass or two or three to get that confidence level back up. And I promise you, your father loves you. He's much better than any offensive coach. He'll do the same for you. He'll begin to build your confidence back in who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. My God, he loves you so much. So church, one more time, I ask and pose the question, what are you doing here? Why did you come to church? Don't get me wrong, I'm glad you did. But are you just going through the motions this morning? Are you in a dark place just going through the motions, ticking off a box? Or do you really really want to hear from the Lord? And if you do hear from him, which I think you have, are you willing to act on that? Are you willing to obey? Without realizing it, you may be trying to survive in a wilderness of your own making. Something that God never intended for you, but he's still there for you. He has a purpose. He has an anointing on your life, a plan for your life. And it's not to be stuck in a cave. It's to be full of life. It's to be full of purpose. It's to be full of joy and strength. Bow your heads.
If you were challenged and are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you find us. To experience other messages, videos, and live events, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. And again, thank you for listening to the New Life Church Podcast.